the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've heard these questions today and you're curious, my goal was not to create unnecessary doubt. My goal was lead to lead you back to the cross to let you see that looking to Jesus and his goodness, to clinging to him, is your only hope. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. You know, all of us have secrets. There are some things in your life that even that person sitting next to you doesn't know, but he knows. Those are a part of his judgment. That's verse 16. And then God's judgment is in the hands of Jesus is what it says too. So Paul's writing to a group of Jewish people who think their religion is enough to let them fall up under the same judgment as everyone else and be okay. But he's telling them that in light of judgment, your religion is not enough. And the Bible's full of this. We, we think of Nicodemus who was, man, what a righteous person. He was like the Billy Graham of the day and he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I, I'm a teacher of the law. I'm a leader in the faith. A Pharisee of Pharisees, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, you got to be born again. It's the same standard as everybody else. Don't you hate it when you're playing a game or you're doing something and you don't know what the win is? You don't know what the standard is? When you're watching a baseball game, when you're watching the Rays play, you know the team with the most runs wins. When you're watching the Bolts play, you know the team with the most goals win. When you're watching the Bucks play, you know the team with the most touchdowns win. But sometimes in life, it's hard to know what the win is, right? Like when your wife comes out and, and, and she's wearing a new outfit and she says, tell me how this looks. Does it make me look fat? Regardless of the answer, I'm just going to tell you, gentlemen, the win is to say, no, not a chance. When it comes to our relationship with God, the standard's always been the same. No matter who you are, no matter what your background. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, you got to be born again. What about the rich young ruler? Again, another example, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. There's a whole message just in that. And he said, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've done all these things. I've kept all of these from my youth. I'm good. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you like one thing, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Standard's always been the same. What was the standard there? You've got to recognize that Jesus needs to be number one in your life. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to step across the faith line. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to surrender. You're saying, Jesus is number one in my life. Nothing else matters. So as a result, Jesus would say in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That was the religious people Jesus was talking to. That's why the great Billy Graham would say in his perception, 70% of people on church rolls are probably lost. Do you know in our church we have around 3,000 members? I like to remind people that the CIA, the FBI, and Homeland Security couldn't find about half of those. But do we really think all of those who have identified with the church are truly living a repentant life and have a relationship with God? The evidence would tell us otherwise. I think of Dr. Jim Stock, who I just prayed with before this service. He's one of our deacons, a leader in our church, and his testimony is that he was a deacon in another church. He sang in the choir. He taught Sunday school. But one day, sitting under a gospel message, he understood that he was not saved, that he had religion, but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And ever since that moment, he said his life has changed, and he's never been the same. The book of Revelation in chapter 20 It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and to him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the death who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That, my friends, is judgment. That is reality. So, so really, the question I want to ask you in the next few minutes is: Is there any chance that you are religiously lost? So, honestly, if this is your first time in this kind of setting, or if you've come in knowing you're far away from God. I think this will be interesting for you to listen to, and I'm going to close with a pathway for you to begin that relationship with God. But I'm really talking to the folks who hang out here often, who call themselves a part of God's family, who say they're followers of Christ. Now, let me remind you of the main truth. The main truth is that while religion will never be enough, God gives you everything you need in a relationship with Him made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to be religiously lost? To trust in religion but not have that relationship? Let me just ask you five questions. Number one, are you self-righteous? The world would call this holier than thou. Now before you say no, 
Let me just tell you, we're all self-righteous on some level. You drive around this area long enough, you're going to come across somebody. You're going to at least quietly think, man, sure I'm better than they are. Listen to verses 1 through 3. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Say the very same things. So he just gave us that list in chapter 1. Remember what was on there? Homosexuality, women hanging out with women, men hanging out with men. Then he gives us all these things that ended up with something as simple as you're disobeying your parents. And then he says, hey, you're doing the very same thing. Are you? Because if you are and you don't think you are, you're self-righteous. So a good way to just test that is, is just look at something as simple as the Ten Commandments and say, hey, am I violating any of those? So how about, let's just walk through that. Maybe in your mind or on your paper or on your phone or whatever, you, you would just put a yes or no when I ask these questions. It's like this one. You shall have no other gods before me. That's number one. Well, do you ever put anything above God in your life? First question, most of us have uh, failed the pass-fail test already, right? I'm not even going to give you other examples on that because I know we've all blown it already. How about this one? You shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, what we're thinking about is Moses going and destroying the, the golden calf. But you know what? Idol is anything, even a good thing that takes the place of the best thing. Have your... Has your family become an idol in your life, your career, your financial well-being, the opinions of others, the kind of car you drive, the house you're in? We're not doing too good, are we? Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This isn't just saying GD, though some of you probably do that. This is taking lightly the holiness of of God's name. The Hebrew people could not even write out the name of God because they looked at it in such a holy manner. Remember this remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. <laughs> you ever violate that one? Honor your father and your mother. Really, I think this even speaks if you look into the New Testament to the other authority figures in your life. You shall not commit adultery. Some of you are feeling great on that one. All right, I haven't done that. Well, then comes Jesus who says, all right, if you just thought about it in my mind, you've done it. If you've lusted, if you've looked at someone with that manner, you should not commit murder. Whew, finally made it to one. Well, then again, Jesus said, if you've just hated your brother, You should not steal. All right. Well, maybe except for that Chick-fil-A sauce that they said it was, don't take enough, I don't know. You should not give false testimony. You should not covet. Do you get my point? It's really easy to look down our sinful noses at the sins of other people. Our sins look way worse on them. 
But God is speaking to us. You think that's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do you not notice a log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me get that speck out of your eye? <laughs> There's a log in your eye. Man, I'm guilty of this. And, and it's, it's just made me realize, here's what happens. Usually, the things that irritate us most are the things that we know we struggle with. Don't believe me, think on that one for a second. Those things that really make you mad when somebody else does it on some level, in some way, are probably the things that you struggle with a little bit. And so you want to go get that speck out of their eye when you're walking up. I mean, imagine the mental picture. It's like you're walking up with a two-by-four hanging out of your eye and say, hey, you got a little piece of dust there. Can I help you out? You're knocking them upside the head with your two-by-four. Self-righteous, holier than thou, saying my sin looks bad when you do it. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Number two, are you unrepentant? Listen to verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will, revent, he will render to each one according to his works. Man, I'm so thankful for the goodness of God. I love it when we sing that song, all my life you have been faithful. We run to the goodness of God, but I must never presume upon the goodness of God. That's what he's saying here. He's talking to religious people that are saying, God's so good. He's so good to me. He's gracious. And God's grace becomes a license to do whatever you want. And so because you've raised a hand one Sunday or you walked down an aisle or you've been dipped in the baptistry or, or, or you've made some kind of decision, you think you have a license to live anyway. And Paul's saying, if you're living an unrepentant life, then the likelihood is you're, you're not even saved. You, you can't just keep doing the things you've always done and yet proclaim that you're different. True repentance always leads to a turning away of sin. It's ultimately seen in our works. Works don't save us. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. Jerry Bridges says holiness is, is not a condition for our salvation, but it's always a part of our salvation. Are you unrepentant? 
you have some secret or habitual sin that you're just holding on to, your pet sin that you've made excuses for. Number three, is it all about you? This is a way to know if you're religiously lost. Look at verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. He's saying if you live your life and you've decided that, that you're living for self, it, it's hard to see that you've truly got a relationship with God because at the core of your relationship with God is a surrender of everything of self. Remember the message of the rich young ruler? He would not walk away. Have you walked away from that which you held dear so that you might walk into the arms of Jesus? Have you walked away from self so that you might turn to the Savior? He's saying you can't seek glory for yourself and seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. Number four, are you a hypocrite? This is about hearing but not doing. Knowing but not obeying. A friend of mine says it's not the truth you know, but the truth you obey that identifies you as a follower of Christ. James 1, the half-brother of Jesus says, Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That word hypocrite, many of you know, is a theatrical word that comes from one who wears a mask, who pretends to be something that they're not. Now listen, that's the number one reason people give us for not coming to church. I don't want to go there. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Honestly, I think that's a bogus reason. Every time they go to Publix, you know what it's full of? Hypocrites. Every time they go to see the Bucks play, you know what that stadium is filled with? Hypocrites. But it is kind of sad that that's true in the church, isn't it? It is kind of sad that we do such a poor job at representing who Jesus is that that could aptly define some of us. So in verse 12, he says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law. And all the way into verse 24, he talks about the importance of, of living out the faith. Let me just tell you something. In a world of social media, God is not fooled by what you put on Facebook. Everybody else may be. Isn't it interesting? Most people just put what they perceive to be the good things on social media. 
And the truth is, if it's, fil- if it's pictures, most people even filter that. <laughs> they find an app to help their picture look better than reality. But God's not fooled by the social media you. He knows the secret you. Religious rituals will never be enough. I would ask you today. Are you religiously lost? What's the difference? It's the difference between the superficial and the supernatural. It's the difference between the outside and the inside. It's the difference between what you grew up culturally saying, I'm a Christian. And what is globally true. Do you know my son is in a part of the world today on mission. And um, in that particular country, everybody on their driver's license identifies either as Christian, Muslim, or Jewish. But it has nothing to do with a real faith walk. It has to do with their cultural background. You can be religiously lost and call yourself a Christian. It's the difference between temporal and eternal. It's the difference between being judgmental and being just. It's it's the difference between being a hypocrite and being authentic. It's the difference between being legalistic and being life-giving. It's the difference between being dead and being alive. Jesus said it's, it's like being a whitewashed tomb when you're religiously lost. Think about that, a whitewashed tomb. You can pressure wash that marble and make it look clean, but all it is doing is covering a dead body. In another place, he said, it's like a dirty cup, clean on the outside. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. He's saying, you come to me and you've cleaned the outside of the cup, and then you go to drink it and you're like, ah. And that's the life some of you are living. So what will it be? While religion will never be enough, God gives you everything you need in a relationship with Him made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to look back at verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What I want you to do, I want you to cling to the kindness of God. I want you to run to the goodness of God. That's what you need. You may express that through this religious organization. You may express that, as some are going to do today, through believer's baptism, which is a religious ritual. But don't you depend on those things for your salvation. You run to the goodness of God. What does that look like? It's a transformation of the heart. It's recognizing that your heart, like mine, is exceedingly wicked. And the only hope is that Jesus gives you a new heart. Dr. Christian Bernard, cardiologist, heart surgeon, says that after his second heart transplant surgery, the patient wanted to see his old heart. So the doctor took him over to a cupboard and he pulled out a jar with his old heart in it. 
He was the first guy in the history of the world to hold his own heart in his hands. And according to the story, the man said, so this is what's given me so much trouble. And then he handed it back to the doctor. And he walked away. Some of you need a heart transplant. You need to see for the first time what's given you so much trouble. And then you need to look to Jesus and walk away from that which messed you up. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.